Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. We are back for another wonderful, exciting, enthralling episode of FNO InsureTech. I am Rob Beller, one of your co-hosts, and that guy on the other end of the line in Texas is... Lee Boyd, another one of your co-hosts. Hi, Rob. (laughs) Another one of my co-hosts. I only have one co-host. Let's be honest. (laughs) Well, you have Lee, so I'm here. That's all I know. Well, and and Lee, you know, we're going to talk about this episode in a minute here, but um, I, you did this episode. I did. While I was on my summer vacation, so we should probably talk real quick about what I did on my summer vacation because we know what you did on my summer vacation. Yeah, I and know that exactly was, what I did. You did this episode I while this I was episode. on vacation. While I was on vacation, and are you upset that I didn't call in and help you with the episode? No, no. I think I think it's good you got away. And in fact, mm-hmm. why don't why don't you tell the audience where did you go on your summer vacation? Uh, we went to the Russian River in Northern California, which is an amazingly beautiful spot in the redwoods and the wine country. And uh, we take a little house on the river and all of our kids come and visit and take advantage of us for about seven days. And Is it Russian like the country or Russian like the water's running real fast? That's a great question. And truth be told, I don't know the answer. And it's not like me to tell the truth about something like that. No. But I don't know. I'll have to find that out. But I do know that many of the people listening to this podcast will know the Russian River by its wines. It's really? famous, yes, it's famous for Pinot Noir wines and for Chardonnays. And there are many world-class wineries who make wines from uh, that are grown there. And as you drive to the Russian River that where this house is that we take, you drive by many vineyards and wineries and it's really it's it's very very beautiful and so yeah we go there and we had a great time that sounds wonderful and so that's what i did on my summer vacation what did you do on my summer vacation while you were out having fun i was here having fun on the airwaves and i was able to interview dan woods who is a ceo of socotra it's a insurance platform that he's designed that really allows a company to come in and modernize uh, their their technology. You know, this this insurance platform works with underwriting, with claims, with invoicing, such as billing and and things like that. Also has a lot of reporting, but we're going to get to to a lot about why he started this company. Uh, we talked a lot about you know, kind of where they're going and, and their mission and, and of course, why they grew. You know, they're not just an American company or a, or a UK company. They're in multiple countries across multiple continents. And in fact, uh, they recently had 
a deal that they announced out of Australia, one of the larger companies out of Australia. So it, it was a great conversation. And although I would have liked to have been paddle boarding on the Russian River, I was thrilled to get to visit with Dan uh, on the podcast. Well, you should know, not only was I paddle boarding, I was also drinking wine. Really? Yeah. Was it yeah. wine that was made in that region? It, it actually was. And so I was doing huh. both of those while you were doing a podcast. So I thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. But what goes around comes around and you're going to be out and I'm going to probably do a podcast by myself. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Next week, two weeks, right. sometime you're going to. Then when you come back, we'll have to hear what you did on your summer vacation. That sounds good. Why don't we jump on in? And here is the interview with Dan Woods, CEO of Socotra. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. We have Dan Woods with Socotra on today. Welcome, Dan. Hey, good to be here. Now, did I say that right? I was practicing beforehand. Yep. Socotra. Yeah, Socotra. That's right. Wonderful. Well, we're very excited to have you on. Where do we find you today? Um, well, today you find me in rural Minnesota where I'm waiting out wave two, but uh, my okay. home is in San Francisco and that's where Socotra is based. Okay. Yeah. I guess y'all have been working at home since March or so. Indeed. Well, goodness. So in San Francisco, is that where the entire team is? Is that the headquarters and, and the one location or are there multiple locations of it? That's really the heart of it. Almost everyone is there. We do have an Australia office and okay. we have a soon to open European office, which is delayed only because of COVID. Well, you got to tell us about Socotra. What is it? You know, what's the mission? Talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, our mission is to make, frankly, a core platform that works. And we're the first on-demand core technology. And what we represent is taking all of the learnings, techniques, technologies they've already seen in other industries and are bringing them to insurance. I guess in a nutshell, is this a core platform for, for policy holding, for claims? Is it a all system-wide software? Yeah. Primary focus is on policy administration because that's kind of the core of the core. There are layers to the core, and the very center of it is the policy. Where's the policy stored? How's the policy represented? How are financial calculations done on the policy? Even a claim kind of hangs off the side of the policy, and it's useful for it to be in a singular data model. That's something that's important to us. So we do get into claims, uh, same with billing. But the heart of the heart is in the representation of the policy. And that's where our key focus is. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What got you into this and started with this company? Yeah, well, first off, for anyone who reads about me, my background is not insurance, which is a bit unusual for this movement. My background is actually data platforms. I studied AI. I was at Palantir for a while, which has been in the news with its upcoming IPO, very successful data platform. And I was looking around at various platforms and various industries, and I figured that an industry as big as important as the insurance industry surely had some company building a quality productized platform for it. Something like a Salesforce or a Dropbox, Atlassian, or even a Gmail, these sorts of platforms that address needs in ways that are transparent. Anyone can implement them. And I had expected that there would be something like that for insurance. I discovered that there wasn't. I found it rather shocking for an industry this big and important. Not only was there not something of that quality, there wasn't even a product in the market. 
but there wasn't a mm-hmm. single one where an insurer could just call them up and say, could I get an evaluation license and try it out? Any one of these where you can go to the website and look at the documentation and see how they actually work, like you could with like a Salesforce or a Dropbox or something like that. And as someone who studied data platforms and understood how these things worked, I found that completely absurd. And frankly, someone had to do something. Given my background, I could get together the capital and the engineers and solve the technical problems. I partnered with a sister company that gave us access to a consulting firm and a tiny initial customer, and we had all the pieces to go ahead and do it. And our mission has been the same ever since, to build a platform of a like a Salesforce or Dropbox-like quality, but aimed at insurance. I guess whenever you started looking at insurance, what did you find? I know you found that it wasn't there, but did you find that it was an easy industry to tap into, not knowing much about it, or is it hard for you? Oh, totally easy. Just come on in and everyone, no, it's terrible. (laughs) It's a very risk averse industry and necessarily so. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have, the economy is depending on you in a big way. People need their insurers to be there when disaster strikes and all the things that we hear about in the ad campaigns and so forth are very true. And they can't just jump on every new wave and every new thing. And that makes sense. So it takes a certain amount of determination and your product just has to be that much better. And what became really apparent to me is someone's going to do this. And it's going to be, if you're frankly just dedicated enough to the mission, you don't get sidetracked and become a consulting firm, which happens uh, to a lot of startups that attempt similar things. And you are just completely stubborn about it. You can be that company. What is the difference in your company and a company like Guidewire? That's a great question because that's one we get a lot. And we do run into them in the marketplace sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. The obvious but oversimplified answer would be that we're just the next generation of the same. I really don't think that's a good description because we didn't set out to just be Guidewire with a new feature or Duck Creek with a, with a new feature or what have you. Our heroes are not those companies. We're not just trying to be them but a little better. We're trying to be Amazon Web Services or Salesforce but for insurance. That's who we look up to. Those are our heroes. And when you take that perspective, then the differences are much more stark because it's, those companies are cut from a different cloth. So the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, there are many reasons, but I'll just give this one for now, unless you want to dig further. These companies aren't actually selling products. I meant it when I said that we're the only product in the market, and that sounds weird, but I could send a text message to my team right now, and in 10 minutes, you could have an email in your inbox with a login to our system which you can use with the open APIs right on our website, go to sakosha.com, click documentation, and you'd have everything at your disposal that any of our customers have. You could bring a policy administration system live. And we've had customers do it, both in the Europe and in the US, both PNC and Life. We've had customers bring policy administration systems live into production using only the documentation, just a weekly check-in with us. No one on the ground directly involved who had ever used the technology before. That's not shocking when you think about something like Salesforce. You People do Salesforce rollouts without having yeah. to have a Salesforce employee around. They can look at the documentation. They can use Salesforce. And our mission is, why can't insurance have that for its core? It, it makes all the sense in the world. It just hasn't been done yet. And then yet, I should say, because we're doing it right now. We're doing it every day. Well, so on here, I mean, I'm on the website and I can see the documentation and open APIs. I mean, that's pretty revolutionary, right? Not a lot of companies like yours would have open APIs. I mean, why? Why doesn't any other core system really have that? 
Yeah, you're entirely right that within this industry, it's, it's, it's very unusual. In fact, we're the first ones to do it. And you're not going to find it certainly on the websites of any other insurance core platform. But if you take a broader perspective and look at IT generally, you'll see it everywhere. You can go to the Salesforce website, LinkedIn, Google, um, any of those, Atlassian, and you can readily find their APIs. The broader IT industry has come to the conclusion that that's actually the better way to go for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that it, it allows more innovation around your platform. It also opens you up to scrutiny so you can improve better and creates a virtuous cycle. I mean, that's one of the reasons we do it. It keeps us honest. We cannot release a feature in some sneaky one-off way as a hack for one customer. We have to look at every one of our features that we release and ask ourselves, is this feature at a the kosher quality? Are we proud to have this on our website? Sometimes it means features take longer, but that's the only way to the kind of company that we're, we're envisioning. And then I'd be remiss not to mention that putting these things out there publicly is just the right thing to do. Customers are paying good money for the use of Socotra, and they have a right to understand how it works. They have a right to connect it to their other technologies, and they have a right to see what it's about before they pay for it, rather than it being some let us tell you about it later surprise where they're buying some PowerPoint and then the reality mirror may not match it. They have a right to try it out before they buy it. These sorts of things that we just take for granted in other industries just haven't found their way into insurance yet. And I, I, I frankly found it appalling and I had to go and fix it. And that's what we're doing. That's our mission. Well, there you go. So I can't help but think we, we interview a lot of people and we talk about insurance and it always seems like it's on its own island. It, it lives within its own world. Sometimes it's slower to adapt. It has specialized technologies. But yet you also come from a world of perhaps Silicon Valley and San Francisco and you're dealing with others. What separates the insurance industry from really Silicon Valley and coming together as kind of a larger ecosystem with the technology partners that are out there? As I mentioned earlier, it is a special industry. It's an industry that has a certain amount of trust with the public. With that goes a, a certain ethical imperative to not to take risks of the, of the right price and to not be reckless with, with finances and there's a lot of regulation there, but with technology to hold that sacred trust appropriately. And Silicon Valley has a very short attention span. If it's not the latest, greatest thing, then they can get tired of it pretty quickly and, and move on to something else. I mean, they're obsessed with industries like entertainment and advertising because those industries can be very reckless. They don't have the same moral imperatives that the insurance industry has. They can be reckless with new technologies. If it doesn't work, they miss out on some ad revenue or some video gamer has a bad experience or it takes longer for a movie to come out or you know, these, these sorts of things. I'm not downplaying those industries. They're very big and they make people happier and they're the things that they do and connect people to products and all those sorts of things. But necessarily they're, they're more able to innovate and use latest technology. And Silicon Valley is, they, they, they love that. They love providing the latest technology to them. On the other hand, when it comes to someone who's uh, an industry that's sufficiently far behind, it takes a certain amount of patience to catch them up. It's something that it's not going to get you on the cover of the same Silicon Valley blogs and those sorts of things and might not make you the life of the party at the cocktail party, mm -hmm. but it's absolutely necessary. And it takes kind of a perspective of both, of understanding what the technology is capable of and what's been done in other industries, but also a caring and passion for helping this industry. That's, that's very, very necessary. It's also geography. I mean, just on a personal level, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm, 
I'm waiting on wave two here in rural Minnesota. Um, I'm personally right. from the Midwest. Um, then I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area for grad school, stuck around there. And I feel that these sorts of bridges are necessary. I've kind of felt like I have one foot in each place. And that's really made this mission speak to me because it's connecting these two things. And our company in a way represents that. So speaking of geography, I'm looking here and it says back in 2014 was your seed round of investment. And I was looking on the website. And as you said earlier, you're all across the globe, Australia, America, moving to Europe. That's a very quick time frame from starting up to going global, right? Kind of across three different aspects of insurance, three different worlds of insurance. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go out geographically so large instead of just focusing on one country at a time? It's a great observation that we are indeed that global. In fact, by my estimation, we're probably the first company in history to have its first four customers on four different continents. Um, that's literally true. And it's, it's kind of insane when you stop and think about it. And part of the reason for that is there's a big timing component to Socotra. We were three years old when we had our first real customer. We were very, very deliberate about the thing that we were buying. I mean, we had, when I say real customer, we did have a customer that was given to us at the very beginning that gave us a place to experiment and do things in those early MVP stages. But the industry really wasn't ready yet. I mean, that was fine. Our product wasn't ready for the industry either. But as it came together, there were only a very small number of insurers that were ready for what we were doing. I'd tell my team back in 2016, when we were trying to get our first real customers. When I say real, I mean customers that like you know had a choice. It wasn't just right. contractually using us because of a deal I cut when founding the company. And I tell the team that only 1% of insurance customers will consider using Socotra. We're an experimental cancer drug, is what I'd say. Hmm. We need to scour. We need to find the ones that have some project that must get done, and they're willing to use whatever technology it takes to get there. And in a risk-averse industry, there aren't a great number of those, but we did find a few, and those became great references, and they necessarily made us global. Another benefit of being global like that from the beginning is it forced us to make the platform in the ways that are in alignment with our philosophies of of being generic, of being uh, generalized. For example, we're not hard-coding any particular region's tax code. Our first three customers couldn't be any more different. One was in Europe, one was in the US, one was in Australia. Two are retail, one was commercial. One was life, two are PNC. Hmm. Um, one was a greenfield insure tech. One was an old tier two carrier. One was a tier one reinsurer selling direct for the first time. They couldn't be more different. And stretching the platform to cover all those use cases cemented us into being having the kinds of flexibility that will allow us to accomplish this mission. And one thing that I've heard entrepreneurs joke about in enterprise is they say, the only thing worse than having no customers is having one customer. Yeah. It's very important for an enterprise software startup to have different kinds of customers early on to force that kind of flexibility. Otherwise, the temptation is just too strong to hard code things in ways that you're really never going to get out from underneath. Well, and that seems like exactly what you did. You went out and got a crazy diversified group of customers in different regions across the globe. I assume that the open API also helped lead to that. Yeah, I, we opened up the API about a year before those initial customers. It probably more like seven or eight months. It was a year before when I pounded the table and said, we've got to get this API open. 
Before that, it wasn't open because we were still changing it left and right. We were trying to figure it out and find the formula that worked. We're a bunch of outsiders that were figuring out how this industry works. And as a side note on that, the greatest platform revolutions are done by outsiders. And Tesla wasn't started by General Motors and the iPhone wasn't created by Nokia. And these are outsiders who understand a better way to do platforms that are coming in and really listening to an industry and figuring out what do they really need. Let's forget what's been done in the past, what do they really need. And we were doing those big iterations the first two years. And once we settled on a formula that we thought worked for covering the basics, the core of the core, uh, then it was time to open up the APIs and to make them all, I don't know, it's kind of like getting a house ready to show, you know, get it all shined up, replace the doorknobs and, you know, clean the windows and things like that and make it ready for anyone to come in and look at it at any moment. Mm-hmm. That's what we did with the APIs. We put them out there. You could call it a risk, but I think that failure was guaranteed if we didn't do it. Now I say failure, I don't mean that there wouldn't be a, a, a company. We'd turn probably into a fantastic boutique consulting firm, but we'd be failing in our mission of living up to the standards set by the, the companies that I look up to when I think about how we operate in the company that we're going to become. I was seeing where you recently had a great round of of fundraising led by Brewer Lane Ventures. Uh, Whenever these companies are investing in you and giving money, you know, what do they see about your company that makes them want to invest in you? Yeah, well, I mean, Brewer Lane is an example. I mean, that was the firm started by John Kim, who was the recently retired president of New York Life. And he'd seen how their IT works. I mean, I don't want to get into details of any one company, but they've been around for a while and they've got some IT that's been operating for a while. And he knew firsthand that the status quo just wasn't going to hold up. It wasn't going to stand up. And something really drastic needed to change. And being in venture, it's a fantastic place to be between insurance and venture. You're also one leg in, in, in both worlds. It's crazy to go back and forth between them between, on one hand, you are seeing the very latest technology. Day in and day out, people come into your office and present it to you. And then you're seeing firms that are questioning agile and cloud and things that you know the rest of us thought have been established for a decade or more. And you're living between these two worlds and saying, like, this is madness. How can the people over here be so disconnected from the people over there? And he had that perspective as he was coming from a top-tier insurer and then doing venture and seeing what technology can do. And we were probably their first investment, certainly their first sizable investment. And um, he's joined our board. He's been fantastic working with us and providing that perspective very authoritatively of, of the insurance industry and what needs to be done for it. It seems like ever since you started, you've been running as fast as you can in this industry. Being where you are now, is that where you thought you would be whenever you started the company or did pivots happen within your business plan? Um, no significant pivots. It's been, I mean, from the beginning, it was like, let's let's make a platform that actually works. And I don't mean that in a small way. I mean that like in a big way, like actually works, like Gmail works, like Salesforce works. That's not a small mission and not one that pivots readily unless you give up on it. It was hard to estimate how long it would take. Mm-hmm. I mean, now granted, I mean, my background, as you can research, I, mean, I was at Palantir, and which is, I joined that company in 06. I was employee 20 and they're in the news right now because it looks like they're nearing an IPO now, 14 years later. Yeah. 
I mean, we're selling to the insurance industry. Like, yeah, that's an industry that's slow to adopt new technology and move on. But Palantir, they were selling to military. This is par for the course in terms of my experience of how long it can take to watch an industry change and accept new technology and the latest ways of thinking. Hmm. At least in insurance, you have competitive forces. Yeah. When you're trying to sell to government and they aren't quite getting the vision, there's nothing to really make them get it. It's not like there's a competitor who's going to now be taking market share away from you and so forth because they did go for the new tech and you didn't. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about COVID. What did the COVID pandemic do to your company, right? How did it change the way y'all are doing business? Apart from the obvious that we're all at home and I've relocated to rural Minnesota because living on the 21st floor in San Francisco with one window that opens two inches wasn't very Mm -hmm. entertaining after month four. I would imagine. (laughs) We've actually seen the whole spectrum of customers. Most of them haven't really changed anything. They're still full steam ahead with their transformations. Some of them have completely paused and I expect most of those to resume because pausing was a really rational strategy when everyone's saying like, yeah, those will be over in a month. Right. Now it's like, okay, if it's going to be 12 or 18 months, are you still going to pause and just while your competitors aren't? I I think behind closed doors, some very serious conversations are happening there, but that's what I'm expecting and seeing there. Another thing I'm seeing, I mean, if I were to take the various things I'm seeing and summarize them under one label, it is acceleration. They're accelerating their thinking. This This is a jolt. If you have an industry that's been dragging along a little bit, well, you know, giving things a good shake will accelerate the dragging. It's going to get things moving. So one of the areas, as it pertains to us, where I've seen it, we're talking about how this is going to change the customer experience, certainly. Maybe people mm-hmm. will be buying direct more than through agents and things like that, which, I mean, if if I'm using an app to buy lettuce, why do I need to like drive to an agent's uh, office in order to buy auto insurance? I mean, it's, right. it's not that differentiated of a, of a product as from the consumer's perspective, and they're waking up to that and so forth. That is accelerating. Everyone's talking about that. But- the same sorts of principles are translating over to the enterprise side. Buying software is more transactional. You're not necessarily going to have people on site from the vendor. You're going to want to just get your license, get your documentation, and be left alone to operate because your engineering team, they're working from home, and they just need to get the things that they need. They log in their documentation and get to work. And that sort of thinking, which... You know, Silicon Valley engineers have had for quite a while. And it's not just a Silicon Valley thing. Engineers generally have had this. I mean, how does a sophomore computer science student do their homework? Well, the homework comes by an email. The documentation is right here. You do some coding and then you email here to hand it in. This is this comes from the very beginning for, for from their perspective. And yeah. so what we've seen then is an acceleration towards those sorts of things, which is great for us because it, it fits with our philosophy. It's exactly the thing that we thought was going to happen. It's just happening a little bit faster. And then actionably, we've seen that in they're getting a little more agile. There's more tinkering. They're more apt to take that evaluation license and actually build something out of it and see what it's made of, see what they can do with it, see what one engineer with one week can build instead of just waiting for the vendor to give you PowerPoint and then picking the prettiest PowerPoint. That kind of tinkering has has definitely increased. I absolutely agree with you. And we've seen that throughout the industry that some things have been put on hold while others have really grown quite quickly. 
Well, tell me, what is on your roadmap for the company? What are you working on now? What are you planning on rolling out, if you can even say? You know, what, what does your roadmap look like? Our biggest thing is really more of the same. And I don't mean that in a small way. I mean that in, in, in a big way. We have a mission that we've carved out for ourselves. And it is a large and worthy and quite audacious mission. It's not something that happens overnight. There are things that we're continuing to improve. There are ways that people want to use the product where we need to support new kinds of flexibility, new kinds of integrations, those sorts of things. And every one of them, as I mentioned earlier, we need to do it to the Sakosha standard of make sure that it's well-documented, make sure that it's completely open, make sure that any feature is completely generic across any insurance product so that anyone can use it, irrespective of their distribution channel, geography, or insurance product. Make sure that it holds with our cloud fundamentals. And we haven't touched on cloud yet, but this is more a thing of the past and the future because we were cloud native from the beginning. People talk about cloud and you can go to you can go to the website of any core IT platform and they're all going to say they're in the cloud. But, you know, installing the on-prem software in Azure or AWS is, that's not cloud. As I like to say, that's like putting a power generator across the street with an extension cord and calling it a grid. It's like, you know, <laughs> you moved it to another building. That's not, that's not cloud. Cloud is not just a buy versus rent decision on your servers. It's a lot more than that. And I right. boil it down to one simple litmus. If the vendor has to tell you when the upgrades are happening, it's not cloud. I've never had Gmail say upgrade happening 8 p.m. tonight. Right. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. And the thing is, people know that inherently. They, they, they know it because they're in the world, operating in the world, using cloud platforms all the time. But somehow, the moment they're looking at their core systems, it's like they forget. And suddenly, cloud just means I don't see a physical server in my building. And yeah, that's cloud. It's like, no, it's not. You know better than this. <laughs> you know better. Just think about it, right? Yeah, you do. It, it, that's that's true for so much of this. You know better. Like you know that you should get like documentation, a manual with something you buy. Right. <laughs> a wristwatch. It's going to come with a manual. That's exactly right. Why can't I get a manual with my software that just tells me how it works? And well, and the reason is uh, traditionally they're not real products. They're all customizations made by consultants. That's the big dark secret. Yeah. Anyway, in terms of what's coming for us, it's going to be more of the same, more APIs, more community building things, and just building out further into improving the way we, uh, claims and, and billing operate. We don't want to become a, anytime soon anyway, a full end-to-end -end claims workflow management platform. There are some great ones out there. The core claims data model as it pertains to finances should be built cohesively with the policy administration model. And that's something that we haven't seen. Claims and policy administration, and billing too, frankly, uh -huh. have been very separate IT silos. That makes a lot of historical sense. It's like, you know, the claims department was on the third floor. They built a system in 1982, and the underwriting team was on the sixth floor. They built a system in, you know, 1990, and it makes all the sense in the world. But now these have evolved so far that the communication with them, between them has become really painful to maintain. And it's difficult to handle the independent upgrades and things like that. And I'm reminded of how contact management worked in, in 2005, where I had, I had contacts in my phone, I had contacts in my email, and then, well, this contact's here, but not there. Then we synchronized them. I overwrote some. Now I've got duplicates. That's what I think is happening between policy administration and claims, is you're trying to trying to glue these things together. And it made all the sense in the world for them to be separate originally, just like, you know, connecting a telephone and a computer, like that's that's crazy. Why does my speed vial need to be connected to my computer if you're thinking 1985? But in 2005, right. it makes all the sense in the world. 
And what it took was a cohesive platform to come and unite them. Google, of course, being the flagship example of that. If you use Gmail, your contacts are in one place. It doesn't matter if your phone is an Apple and you're using Outlook on your computer and you're not even directly logging into Google. You're using one contact manager and one data model for your contacts. And similarly, I think there should be one data model for your policy. So with Socotra, as it works today, this is not a future thing. As Socotra works today, when you configure Socotra so that it represents an insurance policy, you can then automatically, within the data model, put a claim on that policy and specify within the policy of all the insured assets or insured in the case of like a group life or something, whichever mm-hmm. insured person it is, this is the person or the asset that the claim is against. And it's against this clause, whether it's you know death versus disability or whether it's fire versus vandalism, uh, a property case, and it will know the indemnity limits, it'll know the deductible, all those sorts of things, because that's in one data model. Otherwise, you're getting repetition because you have to specify that deductible when you underwrite the policy because it affects the rate. Then you also have to know the deductible when it comes time to pay the claim because it affects the size of the check. So it's one concept. Why are you building that concept twice? And that comes down to the importance of a cohesive data model. And that's something we take very, very seriously. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. That's exactly what you need to do. And I think that's a great decision because keeping them all separate like they were so long ago just does not work anymore. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. Just like changing the way I manage my contacts didn't happen overnight. And that was with one person moving a whole organization. Mm -hmm. Enterprise takes a bit longer. But it's nobody who just walked cold into the industry, understanding technology, would design it the way it's been designed. It's a historical artifact, just like having different contacts in my telephone and in my computer was a historical artifact. That's a great point. And with that, Dan, we will end here. We are out of time for today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for being on and and talking to us all about Socotra. Yeah, thanks. Great chatting with you. Thank you. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening today. Really want to say thank you to Dan for being a part. It was a great conversation, and, and I really enjoyed it. Of course, we missed having Rob on. I know that Rob enjoyed his time in the Russian River uh, floating and, and paddleboarding and, and drinking nice wine. So at the end of this podcast, you know, I, I just really want to say thank you to everybody who, who has listened and everybody who has supported us throughout the years, right? We're coming up on our second year anniversary here pretty soon. And we just want to say thank you to all of the listeners. As always, uh, you can support us by, by following us on social media. And of course, by rating the podcast with five stars. That's always a great way as well. But with that, we will end for today and say thank you. Goodbye, everybody.